Well, it's good to be back in the house of the Lord again this evening. We bring you greetings in the name of Jesus, our servant Lord. You know, if we look into Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it tells us there that we're to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, th who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made of himself of no reputation and was made in the likeness of men. And being, or took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This evening as we think of Jesus, Jesus was God in human flesh. He was equal with God and yet he was willing to leave the throne of heaven, he was, he was willing to leave his exalted heavenly position. He was willing to come down to earth and give himself uh, a, a ransom for our sin. You know, when we think of who Jesus was, you know, I believe, you know, Jesus could have just as well came with a rod of judgment. He could have come and, and desired to live a, a life on, a, on an earthly throne. But we see that Jesus was willing to give himself for us. And Jesus wants that same, same heart to be in us, that same mind to be in us. He came to call men to salvation. And, you know, that, that salvation call continues to go out to humanity this evening. You know, I don't know what, it, you know, we think of salvation. What, what do you think of when you think of being saved? And I, you know, some years ago, as I drove past a, a large junkyard, there in our area, and it was a it was a, 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 a scrapyard where they bring old cars in by the by the hundreds, by the thousands. They bring them in there. They they crush them and they shred them up and they they take the they separate the materials and they uh, you know they just simply destroy them. And uh, you know that's the that's the end of all cars you might say. Um, it, you know, if you're driving a car, and it doesn't matter how new and how good it is, eventually it's going to end up on the scrapyard unless someone intervenes. You know, there's from time to time, someone will see an old car, and they will have a vision for that, and they'll say, you know, I'd like to restore that car. And you know, they'll take that car, they'll, 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 they'll buy that car, they'll pay the price for it, they'll come back and they'll take it apart, piece by piece. Take it down to the frame and they'll begin to restore it. They'll fix everything that's wrong, they'll put it back together. 
and, and you see a completely restored, a new-looking car, uh, even though it's how many years old. I know that's kind of a, maybe a crude illustration this evening. But you know, humanity is headed for destruction. And it's only the intervention of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that came. He saw the worth and the value of a soul. He saw you and I headed for destruction. And he paid the price of the redemption. He purchased us unto himself. And then he begins that restoration work in our lives. He takes us apart piece by piece to fix that which is broken. And he makes out of that a new person. Uh, this evening, we want to look at the simple message of salvation. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. I'm going to be looking at verses 1 to 21. The, the, the title of the message this evening is, Ye Must Be Born Again. Ye must be born again. This is one of the imperatives of Scripture. You know, if we're going to, if we're going to experience salvation... It's imperative that we must be born again. In verse 3, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot, he, he cannot see it, and he goes on later, he says, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This one thing, divides all masses of humanity this evening. You know, it's, it's, it's either you've been born again into the family of God, or you're walking in oldness of life. You're walking in the nature of the old man, or either you have been born again. It's one or the other. I remember some uh, few years ago, I had walked into a local hardware store, and uh, I met a man there, or two men there, that were, uh, they were dressed in white robes. They, uh, they were fairly clean-looking men. Uh, they, the, the white robes were tied together at the waist with a piece of, of rope, and on that rope there was a cross hanging. And so I was a little bit interested into, you know, what, what their persuasion or what their faith or what the significance was of these men being dressed that way. And, uh, and so I, when I had opportunity, I asked the man, I said, you know, I, I see you are, you know, I see that, you know, you are standing out as different. And I said, you know, I would be interested to know what is your persuasion of faith or what is the significance of doing what you're doing. And he went on to explain to me that he was a, a, uh, a monk of the order of a certain group of uh, Franciscans, and he went on, he rattled off the row of what it was. And, uh, and so I, you know, I could tell he was, he, was very, he was very religious. He was very diligent in what he believed. But as I looked at that man, I thought of the diligence of his, his religious persuasion you know, there was something gripped me, and that is the question of, of whether or not he was born again. You see, unless we've been born again, 
all the religious show that we can put on the outside, all the external piety that we can produce on our own is really going to be of no value. And so I asked the man if he has been born again. And, uh, you know, at first he was very clueless to what that would, what would even mean, the, the new birth. And so I think this evening, you know, again, the, the, the need to be born again is something that, that we need to, to understand. It's something that is going to divide all masses of, of humanity. In John chapter 3, I'd like to pick up reading at verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 21. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak, that we do know, and we testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that, that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You know, as we look at this passage of scripture this evening, I want to first of all consider the context and a, and a look at this man Nicodemus and what it was that brought him to Jesus. 
The second thing that we want to look at is we want to look at Jesus' instruction of the new birth. I believe it's important this evening when we consider that the new birth is, as I said before, the dividing line of humanity. On the one side you have the saved and on the other side you have those that are lost. And, and so it's important, I believe, that we understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the new birth. And then thirdly, we want to consider the choice. You know, the choice lies in our hands this evening, whether we're going to come to Jesus Christ and we're going to surrender our heart, our life, and our will to him, or whether we're going to retain that and go away in rejection of the teaching that, that Jesus gives. And so as we look at the context here, we see uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. We're not exactly sure, you know, what his motives were of coming by night. Uh, you know, I found it interesting that, you know, he, I don't think that, that Nicodemus, I, I think he may have been uh, coming on behalf of others that desired to know as well, because in verse 2, he says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. He says, we, uh, reflecting that there would be more than one of them. Now, there's, you know, some of the things that we do know about Nicodemus, we find that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. It says here that he was a Pharisee, and a ruler of the Jews. That simply meant if he was a Pharisee, he was, he was one of the, the, the group of the Pharisees that, that, that carried about them a, a degree of piety. Uh, they, were, they were the ones that believed that they had an understanding of the things of the law, and they were an authority on, on spiritual things of, of that day. Uh, he was also a part of the, the Sanhedrin Council. He was one of the ruling body of the Jewish people. Uh, we don't know a lot more about Nicodemus other than in, in John chapter 7. Uh, it seems like he would have differed from the, the, the larger part of the Sanhedrin Council when he advised the council not to judge Jesus before they hear him out completely or before they're sure of his life and doctrine. Uh, he spoke in the council in, in defense of Jesus and his ministry. And in John 19, 39, we find that Nicodemus again was president, or present at the, uh, at the burial of Jesus. You know, we see him coming here to Jesus, and he addresses Jesus as, as rabbi or master. He... Uh, he addresses him as, as teacher. You know, he sees something in the life of Jesus that is, that is significant. It's something that stands out from the ordinary person. He says that he, see, he noticed, the, he, he mentions the miracles. Uh, he says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God because no man can do the miracles that Jesus did except God be with him. And so he he was alert. He was, he, was, he was seeing Jesus as someone that was, was out of the ordinary, someone that was obviously in tune, uh, in tune with God. And so we're not exactly sure what the deep questions of Nicodemus were as he came to Jesus. 
But it would seem like there was, there was some question there. And we have in, in, in verse 3, we have Jesus immediately bringing to Nicodemus this, this whole idea of a person being born again. Uh, he, he mentions there that except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so I believe, you know, as we look at Jesus, again, we see Jesus as, as being omniscient. He, he's one that can look down into the very recesses of the heart. You know, as, as Nicodemus came, we don't see that Nicodemus even got to uh, ask Jesus a question until Jesus began addressing, I believe, the questions of Nicodemus's heart. And so this evening, if you're here and there's struggles within our heart, within our life, you know, Jesus already knows all about that. And he's waiting for us to bring that to him. And I, I think you see Nicodemus here as he, he comes to Jesus. I believe he's a seeker, but he's, he's probably not quite sure. And so Jesus answers in, in verse 3. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, you know, I, as we look at the events that were taking place at this time, this John chapter 3 comes at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we know that at the very time here, uh, we, have, we have John just recently having come on the scene. And if we go back to the right after the text that I read in, in verses 22 and 23, we see that John was not yet cast into prison, and he was doing a lot of baptizing. And it says there that Jesus and his disciples, or Jesus' disciples were also baptizing. And so it was right at the beginning of the, the earthly ministry, John had came on the scene just a few months before Jesus' earthly ministry began. And he began with the, with the message of, of repentance. You know, he, 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 he was calling men to repentance and to be baptized uh, in for the remission of sin. Nicodemus, uh, I believe, has question to these things that were taking place. And so Jesus answers him uh, that he can't, without the new birth, uh, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. And I think what Jesus is simply saying there is that apart from the new birth, there's a lot of things of the scripture that we are not going to understand. You know, if we go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it tells us there that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Backing up in, in chapter 2, uh, verse 12, Paul is telling us there that now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus here, that he needs to be born again. Without the new birth, uh, he, can't, he can't even grasp the, the true 
the true riches of salvation, the, 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 the spiritual things that, that God has for him. And we go on a little farther in verse 5, and uh, through verse 5 through 8, you know, in verse 4, Nicodemus asks the question, how a man can be born again when he is old? He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus picks up on that again, and he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You know, what is Jesus trying to get through to Nicodemus? You know, if we go back into Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, you know, I, as, we, as we look at the being born of the water and of the spirit, if we go back into chapter 12, or chapter 3 of Matthew, verses 1 to through 12, we have here the baptism of John. John is, is baptizing uh, people in verse 1 of, of chapter 3. Uh, this would be just several months prior to Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. It says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is, this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make, make his path straight. And this same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan, and they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins." But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And then he goes on to speak of the judgment that is going to come to those that refuse the repentance and the, the turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ. You know, I believe what Jesus is trying to get through to Nicodemus here is that Nicodemus was trying to understand the things of the kingdom. I think he had questions about the kingdom of God. I think Nicodemus probably had some serious questions about what it was going to require for him to have salvation. And yet I believe Nicodemus was one of those uh, that was probably standing among the Pharisees there when, when John was baptizing and calling men to repentance. And he was, he was kind of hedging on that, saying, I, I really don't need that. I really don't need that. You know, after all, you know, I am a, a, a pretty good person. I, I'm a pretty good person. I, I observe the, the Jewish law as it's handed down from the, the scribes and, and, and the rest of the, the Pharisees 
You know, I'm, I'm doing them things, I'm, I'm really a pretty good person. And so I, I really don't have any need for repentance, and I don't have any sin to confess, or at least no sin that he wanted to confess. And because of that, you know, he could not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, as, we t- as, as Jesus is here, he's talking, he says that we need to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Now, I, I think he's, he's making reference there back to the water baptism that was taking place by John. But baptism itself is not going to save a person. You know, we cannot be saved by simply going through the ritual of baptism. I don't care if it's by immersion. I don't care if it's by pouring. I don't care what the mode is. Unless there's genuine repentance, confession of sin, there's going to be no renewal in baptism. And so we see the prerequisite there is that if we're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to be willing to repent of our sins. We need to come in brokenness and repentance before the cross of Jesus Christ, and we need to confess our sins and ask him to wash us with his blood and make us clean. Last evening, Brother Nathan read from Psalm 51, where the plea of the psalmist was that God would wash him uh, with hyssop and make him whiter than snow. Brothers and sisters, this evening, without that level of repentance, there's going to be no new birth. But when we come to that level of repentance, when we're willing to acknowledge our sin and, and, and repent before God, being willing to turn from our sinful ways, it's there that God meets us with salvation and he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And when he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit into our lives, the penitent sinner with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, there's a new life that comes forth. There's a new life that is is going to be completely different than the old life. You know, he tells, uh, he goes on farther here than to explain, you know, he, 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 he says that we must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Now, verse 7, he tells Nicodemus, he says, marvel not that I say unto ye, ye must be born again. And then he talks about the wind. He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth, but here's the sound thereof, but cannot tell from whence it cometh, whither and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And I believe this evening when we are born again, you know, we walk in newness of life, and that, that life that we have in Christ is, is going to seem strange to the, to the ungodly around us. You know, it's going to produce a newness of life. And it seems here that Nicodemus is still grappling with this question. Well, you know, how does this, how does this really take place? Or, or Jesus, what is it that you're trying to get through to me? Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? And then we have Jesus 
again, somewhat rebuking him uh, for the fact that he, he seems to, to remain blinded. And I'd like to say this evening, you know, when, when we hear the voice of God speaking to us through his spirit, now I believe before conversion, the Holy Spirit's work in this world is to convince men of sin. Now, before, before we're born again, the work of the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin. The, the, the Holy Spirit works with the conscience, and, and when we sin, when we go our own way and we commit those things that are contrary to God's law, contrary to God's standard of holiness, there's something that strikes a guilt in the heart. And that is the work of the Spirit prior to conversion. And, and so we, we have the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. And that Holy Spirit continues to, to call men. And then it's up to each individual whether or not we're going to respond to that call. When the Holy Spirit calls, when there's a conviction of sin, there's a weight of guilt, there's a knowledge within us that we're out of tune with God. You know, we have to make a choice whether we're going to obey the voice of that Spirit, uh, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, and turn to God in repentance and confession and brokenness and receive his forgiveness or whether we're going to go on in pride and rebellion. Now, those are the two choices that we have. And, and Jesus here, I think the reason that Nicodemus was still grappling, Nicodemus still didn't catch this truth, is that there was still in Nicodemus's heart a sense of self-righteousness that he wasn't all that bad. And it's amazing if you talk with people how low on the totem pole of life they can come and they can still believe that they're pretty good people. They really don't need repentance. I remember one guy that worked for me one time. I had hired him because he came to our door and he was desperate for a job. He said, I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for anything free. All I want is a job. You know, could you just give me some work and give me some, you know, uh, you know take a paycheck for it. And we, we were at a place where, where we, two things, we did need some help. And I realized more than ever that this man needed some help. I said, well, this is, a, this is an opportunity to, to get into his life. But as he worked there for a while, I found out he was a fugitive. And uh, found out that he was a fugitive running from the law. And... Uh, and in my conversation with him one day, I said, now, I, I brought up the fact that to Jimmy that, you know, he's, he, he, he really ought to, you know, what, what's he going to do, you know, if, if, if he would die tonight? Would, would you be, you know, aren't you, you know, are you, are you saved? Do you, uh, where are you at spiritually? And he said, Marvin, he said, I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. He said, you know, if, if, if I died tonight, he said, I'm pretty sure St. Peter would let me in. And I said, well, how do, you, how do you reason that? You know, Jimmy, you can't keep yourself out of jail. 
let alone, you know, you're, the law is hunting you, and, and you know, what, what, what do you plan to do? And well, he said, Marvin, he said, you don't understand how bad most people are. He said, in the light of uh, a lot of people, he said, I, I'm a pretty good person. And, you know, it's easy to view ourselves with, with, that, with that, you know, a little, bit, a little bit overvalued of what we're really worth. You know, when God is speaking to the heart, God wants someone who is broken and willing to repent. And I believe if we understood the doctrine of repentance this evening, you know, it, it would change a lot of people's lives. You know, just, just, to, just to turn away from going our own way, following our selfish ambitions, our carnal way of life, and, and turn to God in, in brokenness and repentance. You know, it's there that God meets people with his Holy Spirit. It's only then that he can pour his Holy Spirit into, into our lives and he says you know that is the new birth that is the new life it's, it's out of that comes new life and I'd like to say this evening you know, as we think of the new birth the new birth is a miracle and I don't as, as we look at, at even in the human sense in, in, the, natural, in the natural body you know the, uh, from conception to birth to life to growth those, those things are a miracle. And it's amazing our, you know, man, for as much as man can observe that, and they can see it taking place, they can watch it taking place, they can explain certain things about it. It's only God that can, can create it. And it's the same way in the spiritual sense. That new birth, that new life that comes, it's a work of God in our hearts and our lives. It's when we're willing to come and humble ourselves in repentance and brokenness and come to Jesus. You know, it's there that, that Jesus meets us and he gives us his Holy Spirit. He washes away our sins. He cleanses us and he gives us newness of life. Nicodemus still doesn't get it. And so we go on and Jesus uh, then goes back into the Old Testament and gives a an Old Testament example out of the book of Numbers, chapter 21, where he tells them that, you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, Nicodemus was, I don't think, seeing his need, and, and uh, I don't think Nicodemus really saw Jesus for who he, he was. And for the work that Jesus wanted to do in the life of Nicodemus. But, you know, he referred him back to the Old Testament there in the book of Numbers. And we know the account there where uh, the children of, of Israel were, were, were uh, in the wilderness. And they were, they were supposed to be journeying to the, to the promised land. And, uh, you know, they continually, uh, the Israelite people there in the wilderness, it seemed like their hearts and their focus was always somewhere back in Egypt. You know, they, at this point, at this account here, the people were murmuring, murmuring and complaining against Moses. They were accusing God of wanting to bring him out into the, to the desert there, into the wilderness to die. And uh, God's anger was, was, was kindled against them, and God sent fiery serpents among them to bite them. And uh, 
you know, after these people were suffering with snake bites and, uh, and I don't know, just this summer, I guess I, I learned a little bit more about snake bites. My granddaughter, my one granddaughter, was bitten in the foot by a rattlesnake. You know, I always thought, you know, if you, you know that, that process, you know, is going to be, you know, if you get bit, it's you either very soon you're going to live or you're going to die. But, you know, when she was bitten, they, the first thing they wanted to do was wait to see how strong the venom and how strong the reaction was going to be. And after a while, it started to swell, and they said, well, yeah, it's a reaction. And so they began giving anti-venom. But uh, that snake bite uh, is very, very painful. You know, is that, that, that bite is bitten in the foot and, and the legs swelled up and they were, they were very concerned because, uh, you know, the, the, the swelling had come up to, uh, right up to the hip is where they got the swelling stopped at and, and the swelling kept getting bigger and bigger and to the point that they, they weren't sure if they were going to have to make an incision in the leg from top to bottom you know, to allow that pain or allow that swelling so it didn't damage the muscle tissue permanently. And, uh, and so one of the things I, I realized from that, these fiery serpents that God sent, they were very painful. It was something these people could pine away with for days after they were bitten. And, and that, that slow death would overtake them as, as that snake bite infected their whole body and began to shut down the organs. And so these people were bitten by snakes and, and they realized their sin, they realized their wrong. And it, it tells us there that they went to Moses and they said, we have sinned. We have sinned. Please pray to God that, that, that he's going to take away our sin and, and forgive us and and, and heal us of these fiery serpents. And we find that Moses was told of God to put that serpent on a brazen pole. And so those people that recognized their sin, they could come, they could look on that serpent. And as they looked on that serpent, they were healed. You know, the, 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 the plague of the bite, the, the condemnation, the, the judgment, the, the, the eternal, or the death that was, was abiding in them was taken away. He's telling Nicodemus here, even so, the Lord Jesus is going to have to be lifted up. And that those that come in repentance, those that come to the cross of Jesus Christ, you know, they too can be healed of their sin. It says here that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And you know, with the, with the, gold, the brazen serpent, them people that believed and looked on that serpent in repentance of, of their, their transgression before a holy God, uh, you know, they were given life. They were, they were healed and, and their life was extended for a period of years. And, but many of them, all of them died before the time was up to enter into the promised land. But here as we look at Jesus... As we look at what God has provided for us, and it says here that, that those that come to Jesus, they're not going to perish, but we're given eternal life. You know, eternal life. And it says, for God so loved the world 
As I mentioned before, Jesus came as a servant. Uh, Our servant Lord, the one to give himself completely and fully to pay the price of redemption for our sin so that we could be saved from the, the curse and the condemnation of sin and not only saved from the curse and condemnation but be, to be given newness of life, to be given eternal life. What a tremendous blessing this evening. God so loved the world that he provided a way of salvation for us. And it says here, as we come to the, the, the last part of this, in verse 19, you have the choice. You know, what are we, what are we going to do about it? You know, are we, going to, are we going to come to Jesus for that new life? Are we going to come for the forgiveness of sin? Are we going to come for cleansing? Or are we going to just turn away and go back in darkness. Verse 19 says, uh, referring to the choice of humanity, it says here, this is condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You know, Jesus has come as light into the world. He has provided the way of salvation. He has provided eternal life for you and I. You know, the choice is ours this evening, what we do with that. You know, this evening as I bring this to a close, you know, we need to make a choice. And uh, in conclusion this evening, you know, I'm going to give an invitation. Uh, I'm not one for making long or emotional invitations. But I believe this evening, if you're weighted with guilt, if there's something weighting you down with guilt, if there's a cloud of darkness a cloud of condemnation over, to your li- over your life, I invite you to come this evening as we sing the invitation song. If the Spirit is calling you, if you're here this evening and you've never given your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you know, I invite you to do that this evening. Come to Him, confessing your sin, confessing your need of Him, And he will meet you there. And when we come to him, he's going to give us the gift of his Holy Spirit, which gives us newness of life, the new birth. Uh, If you're here and you're struggling with with a weight that somehow you can't break free of, this evening, Jesus is waiting. We come to him. If you're here and you've been born again, but there's things in your life that, that have grown up and they begin to choke out that that life that was once in Christ, again, I invite you to come this evening as we give the invitation. What will the invitation hymn be? 225. 225.
speaking, I invite you to come forward. Someone will meet with you and pray with you. Okay, I want to thank you for coming this evening. I want to thank you for your attention. The Lord bless and keep you as we go to our respective places of rest this evening. And again, we invite you to come back tomorrow evening. Come praying that, again, the Lord would have his way in each of our hearts and lives. This time, I'm going to ask you to stand for closing prayer.